Hello and welcome to the Kids Media Club podcast. I'm Joe Redfern. I'm Andy Williams. And I'm Emily Horgan. This episode is slightly different to our usual episode, our usual programming. <laughs> As we see in 2024, we thought we'd take an opportunity to look back on some of the most memorable interviews and discussion and thought-provoking nuggets from 2023. We always say that the biggest gift of doing this podcast is being able to sit with people and really learn things, fascinating and inspiring people working in and around our industry. So, as we venture into another year, we thought we'd look back on the last one and pick some of our favourite moments. So, without any further ado, let's dive into our picks, wrapped up in one episode. So one of my favourite interviews of the year was with Ryan Bradley, uh, the SVP of uh, TV and brand marketing for DreamWorks. Um, we spoke with him about Gabby's Dollhouse, which I've been a huge fan of ever since it launched. I've been kind of tracking it as a streaming first franchise uh, in, in, in preschool um, and kind of been looking with interest and uh some might say obsession <laughs> at all the different things that DreamWorks have been doing to make that show a success. Um, one of the key things about it is it, it launched on Netflix, um, streaming first globally. Um, but the team at DreamWorks have been running a really tight YouTube strategy for the show um, since it launched from the get-go. They uh, launched on YouTube around four or five months in advance of the series launch. They had a full episode on there. Um, and they've continued to grow the YouTube platform um, and, and Gabby's footprint on that platform, um, which I think speaks to a really core tension right now within kids media between streaming and YouTube, YouTube and streaming. Some would argue they're the same thing. Uh, they're, they're, it's all streaming platforms, but the you know the, the size that YouTube represents of kids media consumption is something that just can't be ignored. And I think DreamWorks did a really good job of uh, stay of of being there and and getting it right in terms of you know, enough to taste, but not enough to fully satisfy, I guess. Um, so still to drive that viewing on the Netflix platform. Um, the other thing I think, which I thought was interesting that Ryan had mentioned before this, uh, before this clip started was working with Netflix is all about context setting and, and, and the power of context setting, um, which I thought was also a very helpful takeaway um, for anybody who's working with them. Uh, it's always nice to know those um, stakeholder levers that are that are helpful in, in getting decisions that you believe are the right decisions over the line. Um, yeah, so this is it. Most streaming for kids tends to be incredibly transactional. You want to put the property in front of them when they can go in and engage on it directly. So our normal lead time for a show is, you know, somewhere about a month out is when a trailer launches and then you start getting some more materials that are out pre-launch. Um, but the the meat of the campaign, the heaviness of, of everything comes at the time of launch. For Gabby's, we launched uh, our first piece of content on, uh, which was the theme song, um, the main title opening credit theme song on International Cat Day, August 8th of 2020, right? So, and <laughs> that was um, essentially five months out ahead of time from uh, from series launch in January. I love that. The context is interna International Cat Day. I mean, yes, argument one, right? Like, it's just, there's just no argument to we that. We love a social holiday. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's, 
it was uh, so then it, there was a, a, a steady drumbeat of content. It wasn't free, it wasn't the frequency. Frequency is another key thing in this. I'm sure we'll talk about that in, in a little bit more. But um, the regularity of the frequency at that point was about one every other week or sort of some phases where we had three weeks on, two weeks off, three weeks on of new content coming out. Um, but really um, walking a fine line of giving something that's compelling and interesting and really works for the platform at that point, YouTube, but then really reserves um, the grand reveal and the, you know, the, 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 um, the joy of the series for the launch in January. So it was about and, a five-month window. Yeah. Great. And, and in that five-month window, was all of that content... Was, was it um, bespoke to YouTube or was it drawn from the core content that was launched the following January? It was drawn from the core content. It was incredibly important to give kids what they would expect to see at the time that we that they were able to tune in to launch. We didn't want to confuse anyone or, or you know, sort of, um, um, you know, misrepresent anything in, in that sense. So it was all drawn directly from it. You'll also notice if you study the content, it was very musically driven, right? There's a lot of great music in the show. It's mm -hmm. one of, I think, the secret weapons of why this this um, uh, brand is so successful. And the combination of, again, YouTube as a music platform as well for, for music videos, the Cat of the Day songs, um, was just also another great thing to pull from that wasn't narratively disruptive, uh, but really gave you... Um, really terrific views of who these characters are and kind of what their their vibes are yeah i guess that's the kind of balance with youtube is to get something that the audience can engage with without knowing the show you know so that they can find something compelling about it without needing to have watched all the episodes and, and, and that's how you're able to convert them for sure one great agreement of one great agreement with netflix though was the ability to put the first episode the pilot episode out on youtube and that was one of the key things we did in august so we put a full episode out there. It really explains what the premise of the show is. It introduces you to the core cast of characters. Um, and that became a workhorse for the the engine that ran on YouTube to just sort of find kids um, and introduce them to the brand. I think also using the music plays to the, plays to the strength of YouTube as well in terms of feeding both the algorithm and what kids love to consume on the platform. So in a way it was it had two, two benefits using the songs on YouTube. Of all of the different ways to kind of build pre-awareness, do you think YouTube is just the most important of the kind of different tools that you have to build pre-awareness for a show before it goes on Netflix? I think it's an incredibly important one. I think there's also huge context to us. It was 2020. Right. There was, you know, we were in the middle of a global pandemic. Everyone was at home. It, you were not, you know, what was the point of outdoor at that point, right? Kids weren't going to school, school programs, like all of those other things that you uh, may have done just weren't really available. Um, so it became a, it, it became, I think, even more central to the plan, although it, it always is. It is an important platform. It is, a, you know, a, a place where kids spend an enormous amount of time. Um, we have terrific partners uh, internally with our Peacock Kids YouTube team um, that sort of uh, assist and manage our program. Um, and uh, they're really experts in the field. And, and we um, leverage their talent and experience to, to use that platform to the best of its ability, especially at that time. One of my favourite clips from this year was from an episode back in May when we interviewed Simon Pullman. Uh, and Simon is an entertainment lawyer. And he has a really keen understanding of 
franchise uh, brands and brand building across multiple platforms, in particular gaming, because he's a keen gamer himself. Uh, And this led to an interesting discussion about how gaming IP are becoming ever more important and attractive to Hollywood. Um, We know that kids and young people spend more of their free time gaming than they actually do watching video content. Uh, And so this is changing how we build franchise brands, not least with regards to how we produce them and production technologies. Um, I think it's fair to say that perhaps studios and Hollywood studios, their response to this changing audience behaviour has been rather slow to date. uh, And it might have led to younger audiences questioning their relevance, really. Um, And so we've seen recently that rather than being able to rely on another Marvel outing, um, younger audiences have instead flocked to movies like the Super Mario movie or or they binge-watched The Last of Us. And, of course, more recently, they flocked to see the breakout hit Five Nights at Freddy's, which was based on a video game. Uh, And what we do know is that gaming offers this more active engagement over just passive viewing of video. And kids and young people want these opportunities for interaction. They demand to be involved. And this presents a a certain challenge to to brand builders, you know, transmedia brand builders like myself and and Andy and Emily. Um, What we need to do is think about building brands and, and telling stories across different medium and across different platforms Because we need to ensure that brands have a presence wherever kids are, wherever they're hanging out. It helps the IP to resonate with its audience at different times, in their different need states, when they're doing different things. They're consuming in a very different way on TikTok to what they're doing when they're uh, on Roblox. So a big question for franchise owners at a time when budgets are tight is how can they be canny and smart and create franchise brands in a way that cost effectively services these ambitions and these multiple platforms and these multiple need states of their audience? How can they think about, at the same time and often simultaneously, an animated series, a video game, social media content? How can they think about those as one and think about creating them earlier and faster? And that's where game engine technology comes in. So in this clip, we hear a little bit about how game engine technology, such as Unreal Engine, is allowing producers to better and more efficiently align content creation with those evolving patterns of consumption with kids. Here we go. Just picking up on one of the things when you were saying the convergence of stuff is we're also seeing, so I've kind of seen that a lot of the animation tools that have developed now are using video game um, tools. So a lot of the tech that's being shared is being shared across animation for TV and screen, uh, as well as animation that's being used as part of the gaming engine. And you're you're having teams and crews that are kind of moving from from one area to the other. And and I wondered whether that production convergence has an implication as well in terms of how these how the adaptations roll out. Uh, I mean, if you look at something like Arcane, which there's there's real integration there between the teams that worked on the uh, the video game and the Netflix series. Totally, and, and Arcane is 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 an unquestionable uh, success story, very very critically acclaimed, embraced by both the fans of the game and people who just you know I don't play the game, but I really really like the series. I think people would say the same about the CD Projekt 
read cyberpunk series which got you know which was really well was really really well received but this this piece is is the, is is just so fascinating to me because this is kind of potentially where where things are going in 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 the future which is if you look at um you know unreal engine for example right and metahumans and and these and these and these tools um it there is going to be a point where it becomes possible to develop game and interactive experience concurrently with with linear and effectively use the same the same assets which from a from a franchise building standpoint right we've put aside the technical just for a moment we talk about creatively well now you don't have the necessarily the the issue in quite the same way in terms of the workflow of well let's do the game first we don't know oh game gets delayed okay now we wait another three years for the for the movie but you can potentially sort of start to see these these concepts which you know is sort of the essence of 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 this word you know transmedia that people that that people talk about and so for that reason some of the gaming companies might very well become powerhouses in in you know across linear uh, you know entertainment uh, and 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 vice versa potentially and i will say i mean you you spoke about the, the linkedin at the start i mean this is one of the things that i love about about linkedin because through you know through those pieces and it's been an outlet for me i've discovered a lot of people who are thinking similarly about this stuff and they're excited about it so i learned from 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 them i mean i had, I had an amazing conversation with a, a gentleman in australia this guy nathan basley this this week who's in the virtual production space you know so he's working with studios and governments to sort of you know work with them and, and, and sort of uh, implement these these technologies i think primarily on the film and television side but also gaming but that that as you say andy that's the next that's the next frontier and it's coming yeah. fairly quickly i think it is yeah and, and and i see a whole new way of working emerging where because there's these technologies at the center and for a brand person like me and and emily and andy you know that notion of creating once in the center with a technology that allows you to service so many different types of media and platforms, create once, use hundreds of times, whereas it used to be that you had to summarily recreate everything. You had to animate your series, then you had to go and code your game. You had to, you know, it, you can effectively with Unreal and, and, you know, you can create something in the middle. You can even still output it at two, two and a half D. <laughs> you literally move a slider. Right. And then, then you can output it to a, you know, a game engine that is that looks slightly different again, but you've only had to create once in the middle. And that's, that's fascinating, both in terms of cost effectiveness and speed. But it's interesting, your point, uh, you know, it actually puts the people that can manipulate that technology, whether it's game studios or those experts, in a huge position of power, well, and, and that's it, Joe. As, as I hear, you, as I hear you say that word, people, because we're talking about technology, but I think the people aspect becomes key in terms mm. of people who can understand this technology and think about the possibilities, but also the collab. I mean, this this feels highly collaborative, doesn't it? You know, across different groups and departments. One of my favourite conversations was our discussion with Michael Shields the CEO of Akamar Films and the producer of the hit children's show, Bing. Michael shared the story of his journey in creating a children's brand that was designed to have longevity from the very beginning. I found it incredibly inspiring to hear how he emphasised the importance of being really intentional when creating a brand that could last 10 years or more rather than one season flash. 
While it's not easy and involves a lot of risk and a bit of luck, Michael demonstrated that with a thoughtful and strategic approach, it really is possible. Let's listen to the chat now. I mean, in the early days, were you planning for 10 years? I mean, like, what was, what was, what was the strategy? What was the strategy in those? Or can you remember? Uh, I can remember. I mean, the, the early years, there were five of us on the development team, including some of our colleagues in Brown Bag Films. And between us, I think we'd produced 45, 50 different children's projects over our careers. And so the more we developed Bing, the more, the more deeply we got into the subject, the more we realized that we really had something precious. And so we did have a, a mission to, to, tr- to do our damnedest to set it up as an evergreen. Um, I think in the first, in the early years, it's your skills and experience that gets something developed and produced and made and, and gets broadcasters and platforms to support you but in the out years three four five six seven nine it's actually the audience that that makes that happen and so we were very thoughtful about attending to the needs of the audience from from the beginning Uh, and with some of our partnerships fisher price harper collins in particular our first meeting and janine murta who was then the leader of harper collins children's book she said what's your goal and I said, I think our goal is that beyond year five, people are saying, no, what are we doing with Bing this year? So it was, a, it was an intentional uh, goal. And, and, and how, did, how did that feedback from the audience, did you kind of have to course correct at all in those first couple of seasons in terms of your vision for the show and then, and then having to adjust in terms of how that was being received by the audience and kind of... How did that work at the start? I think a lot of that happened, Andy, in the early development phase of the project. <clears throat> we did an initial pilot, uh, which was was quite good, but it wasn't special. It didn't it didn't sing. And then we refined that. We did a second pilot. You know, eighteen months in between these two events. And then um, we took that and we showed it to our friends at Nickelodeon. And actually, Debbie McDonald was in the room and she just blurted it out. She said, Flop needs to speak. <laughs> we, oh, no. <laughs> it was Flop in the original books. Ted's original books were really insightful, gorgeous little books. But it wasn't clear whether Flop was a real character, a toy, a figment of Bing's imagination. And so we then went deeply into that. And that coincided with one of the team members' sisters was training as a, uh, a Montessori teacher, actually, which was a, a stroke of, of luck. And we went very deeply into Maria Montessori. And Flop as a character, as he became an incarnate, embodied character, basically channels Maria Montessori's genius about what it takes to nurture a young child skillfully. So... He's honest, he's present, he's not stuck on his phone. Uh, he's got, a sort of, yeah, he's calm, very calm. Uh, he's also joyfully, you know, he's authentic. He, he, he's not slumming it with the kids when he's, when he's hanging out with them. He's having a good time on his own. And so um, we did that work. That took five years plus. And at that time, we also 
because we were so committed to the project, we put some of our own resources into researching with 600 children in the UK, 600 children in America. And that taught us quite a lot. So that was at pilot stage before we'd actually started to produce full episodes. As a result of that, we slowed down the pace. We simplified some of the language. We got really clear about a simple uh, naturalistic sound picture. Um, so some of the feedback from the audience came before we'd actually shown it to the audience as a fully fledged project. And by the time we did start creating episodes, we'd, we'd all spent an awful lot of time uh, working it. And we will end our selection of clips from 2023 with this powerful message from Alex Wiseman of Nine Story Media Group. Urging kids media producers, despite the tough times ahead, to stay true to the principles of the very best kids media programs and content. It's just what we need to motivate and inspire us as we prepare for the year ahead. What do you see? What do you see for the future? Like, what do you? How do you see it set, continuing to settle? You know, what are your? What are you excited about? What do you think the challenges are going to be? Mm-hmm. Like, future forecast for us? Will you? Well, um, sure, no problem. I know what's going to happen. Um... <laughs> Uh, I think that um, there's going to be more consolidation in these mega media companies. Um, And so I actually think that this period of of change and disruption is going to go on for probably another couple of years, to be honest with you. I really think it's going to take things to settle down, particularly with the kind of major investors in the kids' business. And um, I think a lot of new strategies are going to be um, developed um, and uh, I think they're going to be kind of uh, future-proofing, you know, future-proofing their businesses and their approach to kids' content. My hope is that that will include a sort of a, a relaxation of, ex- of exclusivity. And also, um, you know, I find it very hard to imagine a world where within a couple of years you aren't going to have the heads of these companies or the kind of stakeholders going, wait a minute, let's just start selling this stuff. Let's let's sell this stuff. Let's make some money. Let's see some sort of a return. Let's see if we can rebuild. And even if we can't, let's make money, money from some of the stuff that has been invested in, which cannot find its audience, possibly just because of discoverability. Um, and I think that the um, AVOD channels are going to continue to just grow. And I mean, I think exp- exponentially. I think where those big channels that have money to spend and are being really smart about their business model within a couple of years from now, they're going to be some of the main players that we're talking to day in, day out. And I think the fast channel is going to grow with that because why wouldn't it? It's really going to, it's going to be great for, you know, all those of us who are actually interested in brands and are frustrated by having to pay for five, six, seven different services when all we really want um, is to watch um, more Ted Lasso um, or that sort of thing, you know. Uh, so, so that that's that's going to continue super serving it. Um, and I think you know, content that is available for free, supported by ads or not, is absolutely the future of content. And the difficulty and the challenge is going to be in that case, how do we finance it? Because the only way to finance it, if you're in that free world, is by being on many many platforms at the same time. Um, and by having some stakeholders who do have a vested interest in a back-end participation that's meaningful enough to actually warrant an investment. Um, so it's almost like they may not be investing just in the rights, but they are actually true partners. Um, so I think that's kind of going to have to be the way it goes. What I hope doesn't happen is that 
the um, you know production qualities of kids content is forced um, unnaturally downwards um, and we don't have content that is made for kids that is smartly curated, properly researched, uh, age appropriate, well-made, beautiful stories that need to be told, representative, authentic, diverse, you know, anything that is going to threaten that is a problem. And we are, um, you know, we are gatekeepers, um, those of us who have been in this business for so long and cannot let that happen because it is so important that children are offered content that is really well made and well thought through and that must not be sacrificed um so it's just we are all going to just have to be you know uh just a lot more um inventive about how we how we how we uh protect that but it is so so important and i know we're all you know we we get to see fantastic content because it is properly made so that has to that's sacred in my view so that's a wrap on the Kids Media Club podcast for 2023. We hope you enjoyed this rewind back through the year, but there's plenty more to come in 2024. And we want to finish by thanking all of our guests and especially our listeners for their feedback, support and encouragement. We always appreciate when you guys reach out to say you're listening to the podcast and you're enjoying it. So thank you a lot for that. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, this is the Kids Media Club podcast signing off.